Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. you've got your Bibles, if you'll open to the book of Daniel, we're going to be looking this morning at uh, Daniel chapter 5, Daniel chapter 5, so while you're turning there, uh, let me encourage you to uh, remain in an attitude of prayer this morning. I'm grateful for uh, Brandon and our worship team leading us today. And before we start, I'd like to pray again. Most of you have probably seen and you're aware of things that are happening in our world in the news uh, with Israel. Uh, So let's stop and pray for our friends there in the country of Israel. Father, I pray right now in in Jesus' name, uh, Lord, that you would intervene. We should not be surprised because your word tells us In the end days, there will be wars and rumors of wars, and the world will look like it is just coming unglued at the seams. And so what we see is a sign of the return soon of Jesus. So God, we pray in the midst of this, Lord, that you would help us to be ready ourselves and to be attentive, to be alert. And we pray for Israel today, God, that you would be with those that are being a hurt whose lives have been lost, those family members, that you would watch over them and that your peace would reign. Uh, in Christ's name, amen. It's interesting that the title of the message this morning uh, is Response When the World is at War. You might even add to that uh, response when the enemy is at your door. And we're going to pick up our story with uh, Daniel chapter 5. Uh, There's some background that I need to tell you about our friend Daniel, uh, because uh, the last chapter we were looking at, we were talking about a King Nebuchadnezzar, and then you get to this chapter, and King Nebuchadnezzar is like gone. It's like you missed an episode of the story, and you pick up, and there's a different king who is in charge. His name is Belshazzar, so... Let me kind of catch you up real quick because you have to look around in different passages of the Bible, 2 Kings and the book of Jeremiah to kind of piece together the storyline of what's happened here. But Nebuchadnezzar was the king as we last saw and uh, then we get to this point where King Belshazzar is in charge and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Belshazzar is kind of King Nebuchadnezzar's Son down the line, not his immediate son, but way down the line uh, in, the, in the kings that have happened. And probably historians and Bible scholars tell us probably maybe 20, close to 20 years have transpired between chapter 4 and chapter 5. So Daniel is older, the story has moved on down the line a little bit, and we find ourselves with this king, Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar died, he passed away after 43 years of reign. His son, he had a couple sons, one of his sons, Merodach, you read about him in 2 Kings chapter 25, ruled two years. He was assassinated by his brother-in-law. You think you have family issues. 
His brother-in-law was named Neraglassar, and you read about him in Jeremiah chapter 39. He ruled four years, and his son, Neraglassar's son, ruled for about nine months, and then Nabonidus ruled. And Nabonidus was Belshazzar's father. Nabonidus is kind of still the king, but he has retired to Arabia and left Belshazzar in his place to be the king and uh, to be the ruler in this huge city called Babylon. Now let me tell you a little bit about Babylon. Some of you may know this. Babylon was a great fortified uh, city. Uh, Its outer walls were 17 miles long. The walls were 22 feet thick. Yeah, I saw some of you go, wow, yeah, 22 feet thick. That's, uh, that's about four of me laid end to end. That's how thick the walls were. 22 feet thick, miles and miles of walls around their city. The outer walls had guard towers that were about 100 feet high. The city gates were not made of wood because they could be burned and enemies could come into the city. They were made out of bronze. And in between these walls were all kind of channels and systems of inner and outer walls and moats that supposedly made the city very, very secure. So this is, this is a fortress that the king is in charge of and he is guarding. And when this happens, uh, we'll find out as we get into this chapter, there is a war going on. It's the Medo-Persian War, if you're a historian. It's going on right outside the city gates. Their, their city is about to be attacked, and this is how the story opens. In the midst of all of those things, keep that in mind, this is what happens, verse 1. Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. Let's just stop right there. There was a party going on. Huge feast, a thousand plus people going on. And the first point I see already right off the bat in this passage of scripture is a lot of times when the world's at war and the enemy is knocking at your door, there is partying going on. Now, not all parties are bad parties. There's birthday parties, there's wedding parties, there's a time of celebration. So not all parties are bad parties. But he is having a party in the midst of the war that is going on. There's drinking, there's carousing, we'll find out there's concubines, there's wives, there's all kinds of things. The wine is flowing, the craziness is happening, party, 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 all this is going on. Meanwhile, there is a war going on right outside the gate. Now, I don't know about you, but you know me by now. When I read scripture, I like to ask questions. So one of the questions that I ask myself is this parting is going on. Why and how in the world can he who's in charge of this huge fortified city be parting? parting? Why, why can he be doing that? Why would he be doing that? Well, a couple of reasons come to my mind perhaps. The first one is maybe he is satisfied with his own natural defenses. Because I just described to you how how fortified this city was. So maybe he thought, I can just relax. I can let down my guard. Guys, we can have a good time. Bring out the wine. Let's party, party. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can penetrate the walls of the city because everything is going to be fine because we have 
have all these natural defenses. We talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago when we talked about Nebuchadnezzar and how he was walking on the top of his palace and he looked around and he said, oh, look at all this marvelous stuff I've done. And he had pride in his heart. And at that moment, God spoke to him and said, I told you that the dream that you had, the interpretation is getting ready to happen for you. And he walked around like an animal for seven years because of his pride, because he thought the natural defenses that he had in and of himself would take care of everything that needed to happen. We do that, by the way. Can I ask you a question this morning? Some of the things that you and I are facing in our lives, sometimes, maybe you're not like this, maybe it's just me. Sometimes I'll say to the Lord, not out loud, of course, but I'll say, I I got this, it's under control, I got it. I can handle this, Lord. I've got the defense mechanisms, or in my natural ability, I can do this, or I can handle that. We, We do that as people, we do. Maybe that's what he did, I don't know. Maybe he was so consumed with who he thought he was and the stability of the city or so he thought that he was satisfied with his own natural desires but there's something else i thought about this week reading this maybe he was partying partying and going about with all of the craziness because he was wanting to be distracted with the reality of who he was and what was happening in the world folks we see that all the time In our world even today. There's so much craziness going on in the world. And maybe even in our own families. That we see people a lot of times. Try to distract themselves with reality. By other things. Fill in the blank. Like alcohol. Drugs. Sex. The list goes on. All these things that we try to put into our lives. Because we don't want to deal with the reality of what we're facing. Maybe that was part of it. Maybe he thought, you know what, I'm not really sure I need to be here. My, my dad is the king. He's left me in charge. He knew the history of all the assassinations and the killings, what, the bloodline behind him of what had happened. And now here he is. Maybe he's fearful thinking, okay, these, these assassinations were happening. People killed. People died. I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know. I was thinking about that this week, and it's easy sometimes to look at what Belshazzar did and to think, wow, he's partying in the midst of this, and it would be easy for us to think, well, that's probably what happens for people who are outside these walls or maybe outside of the church. But you know what? I wrote down this question this week as I read this. Is that what we are doing as a church, capital C, not necessarily Crossroads, but is that what we're doing in our culture as a church, capital C? There's a lot of crazy things happening in the world. There are people who need the hope of Jesus. The world is coming unglued, it seems, sometimes at the seams. All these things are happening, and yet a lot of times the church, big C, capital C, across the planet, is busy partying. We may, we may not be drinking and living it up with wives and concubines and that kind of partying, but we're so busy doing other things. And yet the enemy is right there at our door. So parting is still going to happen even in the midst of chaos with war and the things that are going on. But let's keep reading and see what else he says to us. Belshazzar, verse 2, tasted the wine. He gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, and again, father kind of respectfully, not his bloodline father. He would have been way, way older than that. 
But his father had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem in order that the kings and nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Can you, can you picture this party going on? They had brought with them vessels that had been set aside in the temple for God. They had brought those with them. He said, go get them, bring those. We're going to fill those up with wine. We're going to drink out of them. And not only did they drink out of them, but they began to praise their false gods. And they wanted to do this. And it's kind of what, it's what people who don't believe in God do, church. We should not be surprised when people who don't know God act like people who don't know God. Why should we be surprised? And many times we as Christians, we incorrectly respond when we see those people and we get all angry. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a little bit of anger, but we, sometimes our reaction to them and what we say to them We need to keep in mind that's what people who don't know God do. And that's what was going on in the midst of all this. There's this party going on. Maybe they took these items because they wanted to remind them of their past spoils. They were kind of like trophies of war. And so they had these things, these objects, these vessels that had been set aside, that had been taken out of the temple, set aside for God's work. These vessels had been dedicated to God and now they're drinking out of them and they're disrespecting these holy things. And it's a word that we don't hear often in our culture anymore. It's called sacrilege, which is the second thing that we see in this passage. Sacrilege still takes place. Belshazzar was foolish enough to not only lose all semblance of self-control at this party, all that's happening is for sure, but not only was he losing self-control and all the partying was going on, then he started to openly mock God. Say, what what is sacrilege? Because that's a word we don't use even in church a lot anymore. Let me give you the definition. Sacrilege is the crime of violating or profaning sacred things. Alienating. Things that have been appropriated or consecrated for religious purposes. When the sacrilege that happens is in a, uh, when the offense is verbal, we would call it blasphemy. When it has to do with a, an object or something physical, we would call that desecration. desecration. Sacrilege is still pl- taking place, and it takes place in our world all the time. As a matter of fact, one of the most common forms of sacrilege you and I would point to today is when people profane God's holy name, when they take His name in vain. That would, that's a definition of sacrilege. So all this was happening. By the way, it happens in our world every day. We don't talk about it a lot even in the church. I mean, recently there was an artist. This has been probably 10 years ago or so. I remember there was an artist who had a representation of Jesus Christ uh, as Ronald McDonald. And the sculpture he had named, he had called it McJesus. And it was meant to be a critique of our crazy capitalistic culture in which we live. And the artwork was on display uh, overseas. And uh, there were tons of protests and calls for its 
removal. It was very intriguing to see how people in social media, even in that time, responded, uh, especially among Christians, you know, some of which were calling on people to boycott McDonald's as if McDonald's had done this as a publicity stunt and they had nothing to do with it. We see it, we've seen it happen in recent years, even among our denomination, where, you know, certain corporations do things, like our friends at, you can edit this out later, Paul, like at Disney World, and the Christians say, well, we're not going to go to Disney World. Let me just tell you, church, if you want to boycott every ungodly company in America, you and I will be walking around with no clothes on, and we will be sitting out in the woods, because there's not one company in America who is not at fault in some capacity. Unfortunately, that is the crazy world in which we find ourselves, much like Belshazzar's world. Does that mean that we accept it? Absolutely not. Most of the things that we would see today, though, that we would say are sacrilege are probably things that we should let roll off of our back. However, when someone openly and proudly mocks the God of the universe... You're in dangerous territory. Better watch out. I've seen in my lifetime, if you want to know the story, ask me after the service. I'll be happy to tell you. I've seen in my lifetime in churches where God took people out because they were mocking him. I'm not talking about escorting them out of the building. I'm talking about killed them. If you want to know the story, come see me, I'll tell you. It was a wake-up call. We see things happening in our world, and those of us who are trying to serve the Lord and love the Lord sometimes look at those things and we think, Lord, how long are you going to let that go on? How long are you going to let that go on? Guess what? God always has the last word. And it may look like he's being openly mocked for a while, but trust me, the day is coming where one day, the Bible tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to happen. So when we see all these crazy things happen, let's not get too caught up in it that we forget the end of the story. So all this, can you picture the scene? All this partying is going on. The wine is flowing. Drunkenness and carousing, I'm sure, is happening. There's a celebration. Thousand people. That's five to six times the number of people in this room. Can you imagine all these people and the party and the music is probably going and everything's going nuts and they're in the royal palace and then all of a sudden, the Bible says on verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing and the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together yeah i bet i bet my knees would be knocking together too can you imagine if in the midst of our time together all of a sudden this hand appeared over here on the concrete wall so big that you could see it and it started writing that's where we get the phrase by the way the writing on the wall which brings me to this point that I see here the Lord will still communicate clearly 
Even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of craziness, even in the midst of all the junk going on in the world, yes, sacrilege will take place, but the third thing we need to remember is the Lord will still communicate clearly even in the midst of it and sometimes in an unusual way. I love that. What happens? Fear. Verse 6 tells us the king's face grew pale. He is, a a modern day translation would be, he's freaking out. This hand appears and starts writing on the wall. And there are letters that are appearing on the wall. And the king is watching this. And all of a sudden the partying stops, I imagine. And the noise goes to a quick, from a deafening noise to silence. And everyone starts looking at the wall. And everyone starts going, what in the world? They're starting to freak out. And his face grows pale. And his hip joints were slack, which means he's just, I mean, he's almost maybe doing like the Elvis Presley. I won't even attempt that. I might throw my hip out of joint. I mean, he's shaking. And I read this, and I was talking to one of our dear friends this morning before church, and we were talking about this. There is this such a fear of what he sees on the wall. Let me ask you this question. Do you have, do I have, That kind of reverent fear for God. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I do, most times I don't. Maybe that's the problem with the United States of America right now. Maybe that's the problem with the church in the United States of America. We have no healthy reverent fear for God anymore. We have lowered God to be our best friend, and He is. We have lowered God to be a person of compassion, and He is. But God is a holy, righteous, awesome creator God. And when He sees things happening, and somebody said this to me recently, I'm not sure how much worse things can get when you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's going to have to go back and apologize to those people if He does not bring judgment on what's happening in our country and in our world right now. Do I have that kind of fear? He's shaking. His knees are, are shaking. What's interesting is, His response is not what you and I would have thought his response would be. Or maybe maybe it is. Because what does he do? Verse 7, the king calls out, Bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me will be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as the third ruler in my kingdom. I'll explain the third ruler in just a minute. All the king's wise men came in. They could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation. And the king was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler. His nobles were perplexed. What does he do? He repeats exactly what his daddy did. Parents, listen up. Your kids and mine are going to do exactly what we do you can say all day that's not what I told them to do they're not going to mimic so much what you say as they're going to mimic what you do 
And he did exactly what his past fathers had done. He starts calling in all the sorcerers, all the diviners, all the magicians, astrologers, people who could come in and read this. And the queen, not his mom, probably the queen mother, it would be a better translation of that, enters into the banquet hall, verse 10, because she's heard the king send out this decree. And she walks in and says, verse 10, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There's a man in this kingdom who, who is a spirit of the holy gods. Notice again, Several times Nebuchadnezzar said this, and it's filtrated all the way down, all these 20 years down the family line. It's, it's gone all the way down. He's a, he has a spirit of the gods, a spirit of the gods. She comes in here and she says, I have a solution for you. There's this man in the kingdom. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, again, father up the line, not necessarily right biological father. Your father, the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, diviners. He, was an, he had an extraordinary spirit, knowledge of insight, interpretation of dreams, enigmas, solving difficult problems who were found in this Daniel. Let the king name Belshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned. And Daniel was brought in before the king, verse 13. So he repeats exactly what in history, if you don't know your history, by the way, you're doomed to repeat it. What's interesting is he knew this. He knew all this history. You're going to say, how do you know? We're going to read the scripture in a minute that's going to tell you that he knew this. Because Daniel's going to come in and tell him. I mean, this is crazy. The writing on the wall, he calls out to all the people that he, he should know are not going to be able to come in and bring him the interpretation. There's a lot going on right there where the Lord is trying to get his attention. And the question I wrote down for myself this morning is, what's the Lord doing to try to get your attention? Is he having to write it on the wall to get your attention and my attention? Because that's what he had to do here. And Daniel comes in, and thank God that brings us to the next point. Not only will the Lord communicate clearly, but the Lord still speaks through people. The Lord still speaks through people. Daniel comes in. Verse 13, he's brought before the king, and the king says to him, Are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah that my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard about you. I've heard about you. There's a spirit, again, a spirit of the gods in you. And that illumination and insight and wisdom have been found in you. Just now, all the wise men, conjurers, they were brought in to read this inscription, verse 16. But I personally have heard about you. See, he had heard about Daniel. He's heard about Daniel. Hello, why in the world didn't you ask Daniel to come in and give the interpretation? It's interesting. Before we throw rocks, guys, we do the same thing. You and I run to things that we know are not answers to situations instead of immediately running to the answer. At least I do that sometimes. Maybe I'm only one. Daniel comes in. And one of the reasons we read there in verse 16, where he says, I personally know this about you. You're able to give interpretations, solve problems. If you're able to read this inscription on the wall here and make it known to me, I'm going to clothe you with purple. You'll wear a necklace and you'll have authority to be the third ruler in the kingdom. I mentioned to you about the third ruler. It's interesting. Why would he say the third ruler when he's supposedly the king? Why would he not say, you can be right beside me, you can be second in command? And archaeologists just in the last century have discovered why he did that. It's interesting how the longer that we live, history and archaeologists and scientists prove everything the Bible has already told us. 
So if you're a doubting Thomas, if you're a person here who reads the Bible sometimes and you're going, I'm not sure I really believe all that because blah, 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 just hang on, live another 10, 20, 50, 100 years and you'll find out that the world will prove what the Bible says is true every time, without exception. And archaeologists have discovered in the last century that the real king was Nabonidus, as I mentioned at the beginning of the message. His son Belshazzar ruled as second in the kingdom because Nabonidus had kind of decided to take an early retirement over in Arabia. And so Belshazzar could not give away second in command because second in command would have been himself. So he's like, I'll make you third. I'll make you third in command. And what's Daniel's response to that? Daniel says, basically, keep your stuff. Keep your gifts, your rewards. I'll read the inscription of the king and I'll make the interpretation known. He says, O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar your father. And because of the grandeur he bestowed on him, all the people's nations and men of every tribe and language feared and trembled before him. But you guys know the rest of the story. He got proud and he got prideful. And what the Lord did is what is he sent him out at seven years to live as a beast. He lost his mind and he went crazy. And you know that, he says to Belshazzar, verse 22. And yet you've not humbled your heart even though you knew everything that I've said to you. Instead, you've exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. And, they've brought, and then you've brought the vessels of the Lord's house before you, your nobles, your wives, your concubines. You've been drinking wine from them and have praised the God of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, understand. But the God in whose hand is your life, breath, and your ways, you have not glorified. Folks, it's interesting We see this happen here and we see this in our world. When everything is going great and the partying is going nonstop, Scripture and God and Christianity can be mocked, neglected, made fun of, hidden away, and the world can just party, party, party and just do whatever they want. But just wait! Until the God of heaven sends a sobering message to get our attention. And all of a sudden, panic-stricken people start running to the church house to hear a voice from God. We've seen it. Most recently, probably 9-11. I don't know what's going to be the outcome of Israel, but maybe we'll see it again. A flock of people coming back to the church to get a word from God. It's interesting how patient the Lord can be. Second Peter chapter 3 says it like this. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you. Why? Because he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and earth, and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, Peter says this, What kind of people ought you be? You ought to be living holy lives. Sitting on G, waiting on O. As a friend of mine says, ready to go be with the Lord because of the day and speed of His coming. It's really sad when you think about all the things that are going on in the world. But church, I will tell you, the Lord is still speaking. He still has something to say. The question is, are we listening? And it's not so much about... 
It is about doing what he said, but it's also about doing what he is saying. We just sung about it. He never stops working. He never stops working. He's got instructions for you this afternoon. For something for you to do and something for me to do. We often talk about, well, I'm going to do what God said. And God has said a lot to us through the power of His Word that we need to obey and we need to follow. But God is still speaking. He still has things for us to do. And He still is speaking through His people. And so Daniel, standing before there, before this king, begins to give them the interpretation. Here's what he said. The hand was sent from him. Capital H in my Bible, from God. And this inscription was written out. Here is the inscription that was written out. Mini, mini, tico, a parson. Say that four times fast. Mini, mini, tico, a parson. It was in an unknown language. Some unknown script on the wall. Nobody could figure out what it was, but guess who figured it out? Guess who God gave the interpretation? Daniel. And Daniel says to him, here's what that means, king. Meaning means, verse 26, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Well, there's some encouraging news. How would you like to be the one to deliver that to the king? Tickle means you have been weighed on the scales and you've been found deficient. Perish, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. Another translation of that, a parson. Your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. And he's probably thinking, what are you talking about? This hasn't happened. Little does he know the enemy is right outside the gate. But they've been living it up. They've been partying. They have no idea that that's going on. Which gives me this as our last point this morning. Truth is still needed. Thankfully, Daniel was bold enough to go before the king and give him the interpretation and give him the truth. And how did he respond to that? Verse 29, Belshazzar gave orders and they did clothe Daniel with purple. He was a man of his word at least. They put a necklace of gold around his neck, issued a proclamation concerning him that he would now be the third ruler in the kingdom. But unfortunately the story doesn't end there because that same night he was slain, he was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, verse 31, at age 62. What is the Lord saying to us today? What's the Lord saying to you today? What he said to me this week was, wow, we live in a crazy world that is full of upheaval. There's all kinds of chaos. There's all kinds of craziness going on. But the good news that I have for you this morning is God is still speaking. God is still speaking through people. God is still speaking through his word. God is still speaking through the power of his Holy Spirit. And the reason he's doing that is why? Because we are people who desperately need to know the truth. It's not being hidden. Jesus is giving us the truth in his word and he gives us the truth as we spend time with him. He gives us what the truth is and the truth is very much needed. But one of those phrases actually, I don't know about you, but kind of brings a little bit of concern to me. There's several of those words that are interesting. Meanie, meanie, tico, a parson. 
That word tikkun means you've been weighed on the scales and found deficient. You've been weighed on the scales and found deficient. And maybe this morning as you think about that, maybe you're like me as I read that. I'm thinking, wow, we have all been weighed on the scales and been found to be deficient. Because the Bible says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, there is none without sin. No, not one. And because of those things that we've done wrong, the way we've lived, the sin that we've, sins that we've committed, the wages of those sins, what we have earned by those sins is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So how do I measure up? Because Daniel told the king, you, you, you've been weighed and you're, you've come up lacking. How do I measure up? I measure up not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus Christ is. In Christ alone. That's how I measure up, because of the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me this morning? I don't know how the Lord's spoken to you today. Maybe in your life right now, there is something going on that God is trying to get your attention. Maybe He's writing it on the wall. Maybe you feel like He's had to pick up a two by four, and you feel like you're getting hit in the head with it. See, here's what's interesting about our God. He loves you, and He loves me so much that He will do whatever it takes to get our attention. As a matter of fact, He did whatever it took. He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves you. Maybe this morning you need to receive the truth of that so that the scales will weigh out in your favor because of the righteousness of Jesus in your life. If that's you this morning, you just need to say, Lord, I I throw myself at your feet and I, I don't measure up. I don't measure up. The good news is He measures up. Maybe this morning... You look at all the craziness in the world. Through all that noise and chaos, God is still speaking. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get my attention. Sometimes we're so distracted. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I hope you'll be honest. Sometimes I just say, God, I, I got that. I can do that on my own. What he wants is a relationship with you. So in just a minute, we're going we're gonna to stand. We're going to have a closing song, an invitation song. Brandon's going to lead us. But before we do that this morning, could you just take about 30 seconds and say, God, what are you saying to me today? How does this apply to me? Whatever he says to you. What what action step do you need to take to be obedient to what he has said to you and to me this morning? Maybe it's to grab the hand of a friend and say, Would you pray with me? Maybe it's to grab the hand of a spouse or a parent or a child.
say, wow, we need truth in our family. We need truth in our heart. Maybe it's to come and kneel and to pray. My friend Heath is going to be standing with me here at the front. I'll be here. We'd love to pray with you, encourage you. Maybe this morning you'd say, wow, I do need the truth of God. And I need to plant my roots in a place where I know through Bible study and prayer and preaching and music, I'm going to be fed the truth. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to put your roots down in this place called Crossroads. We would love to have you be a part of this church family. I don't know how God's speaking to you this morning. But ultimately, everything that He's calling us to do, church, is so that we can present ourselves to Him, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable as our reasonable service of worship so we can worship Him and have relationship with Him. So would you quietly and reverently just stand to your feet? Would you stand with me, church? And if you need to slide out of your row and come down and pray or to grab somebody's hand, I invite you to do that. If you just want to sing and lift your voice to the Lord as Brandon leads us, I invite you to do that. However the Lord moves in your heart this morning, just be obedient. When you leave this room, I hope that you'll be able to say, God, I I obeyed you. I did what you told me to do. Whatever that is. Whatever that is. Father, have your way during this invitation time, we pray. In Jesus' name. Step down into darkness, open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.